Hello everybody, welcome back to a new episode of the Pearl Dialogues where we explore the nature of reality through the lens of the Diamond Approach. My name is Wazi and together with Aileen I host this podcast. If you are new to the Diamond Approach teaching, you can find more about it in the description below. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Terry and we touch on the topic of the Enneagram, the value of having developing our ability to concentrate, how we can function well in our family systems. And we also talk about the process of working with uh, negative thoughts, difficult feelings and so forth. As always, I invite you to sense your arms and legs, your body while listening. And that's all I'm going to say for now. Enjoy. and warmly welcome back to another episode of uh, Pearl Dialogues and tonight I am back, Ilin. Um so we're doing a, a duo and we have invited a new teacher for you, um, Terry. Um, hello, welcome Terry and can you please pronounce your last name for me as well? I can, thank you Ilian. Yeah. Terry Pennebaker. Terry Pennebaker, wonderful. And the C, you're here as well, of course. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. I'm calling from Oslo in Norway. Yeah, and I'm, um, as usual, not always, I'm calling from Moldcom in Sweden. And Terry, where in the world are you? I am in Santa Rosa, California, which is about uh hour north of san francisco okay beautiful let's dive in <laughs> terry would you like to start by telling us how how did you end up in the diamond approach when when was it what what happened what did it mean for you hmm. Yeah, well, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I ended up in the Diamond Approach. I came to the Diamond Approach about 21 years ago, and I had been practicing Vipassana meditation, and I had a teacher. My teacher was a Burmese monk, uh, Upandita Sayadaw, which some listeners probably know, and... Um, I had spent um, several retreats. When he would come to this country, I would see him on retreat for weeks at a time, and then he invited me to come to Burma. So I went to Burma the first time for a three-month retreat and um, stayed in his forest monastery, and um, we just we lived in silence, lived in a little cootie, little hut, and we would walk and sit all day long, have two meals a day. And I did that for three months. And he, after I left, he invited me to come back. I realized I did want to go back. I went back for seven months the next time. Again, seven months in silence sitting with him. But what I would notice while I was learning a lot, really learning to concentrate my mind and develop the capacity to penetrate into my experience and would get 
uh, reach amazing states of peace and bliss. Once I would get off the cushion and start to be in my life again, there were a lot of reactivity and a lot of um, the familiar patterns would return. And um, I got very curious about this and how does one actually work with that? And then my teacher, again, Upandita, when I was leaving after my seven months, asked me to stay in Burma and I couldn't. I had a family, I had work, I, my life was in the States. So he said, okay, if you're not going to stay with us, you must find a Western teacher and keep practicing. So when I came back here, my, uh, my business partner at the time, who was now my husband, told me about Diamond Approach. And I read Hamid's first book, uh, Diamond, I don't know if it's his first book, but Diamond Heart Book One. And when I read that book, I knew this was something I wanted to pursue. So I joined a group. I got lucky, happened to join a group that Hamid was actually teaching, Hamid and Karen Johnson. And um, it became my path immediately. I understood it, fell in love with it, and it has become a way of life for me now. Wow. What grace. <laughs> wow, that is so deep. That is so deep. I just feel the grace pouring through that whole story, that whole journey. Wow. Me too, I'm, I'm amazed. I haven't even been to Hiripasana for two weeks. Um, it's the, one of the scariest thing I can imagine actually to do. I'm gonna do it when I can, but I've been afraid of it for so long. So to hear you share your stories, like uh, it's uh, it's like wow, it's very a big big wow for yeah. me. What scares you about it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just the first time someone told me what the persona was, I was like. That's so scary. I, I guess that was also before I started doing personal work. So I guess, yeah, just sitting with my thoughts seemed extremely scary for me. Yeah. What is, uh, what is your relationship to Ripasana, I would say? Yeah, so I've done it twice. I've done it twice, 10-day yeah. um, retreats. But before going into that, I just want to circle back to, to what you just transmitted, because um, in the transmission that you just gave about your life, I, I feel this such a deep guidance, such a deep, uh, like a purity of unfoldment in, in, in how we practice with this teacher for such a long time. And the, the benevolence in, in him saying, if you're not staying with me, you need to find another teacher in, in, in the West and practice with him. And then you eventually ending up in a group with Hamid and Karen. There's just such a, like such a golden thread of grace that connects that whole thread, I feel like. So 
I'm just reverberating with the with the depth of and the profundity of that. Yeah, and when you say that, Wasi, I um, uh, I'm in touch with the love that Upandita that I felt for him that he expressed towards me and towards all things. It wasn't just this. I'm not talking about personal love, but yeah, the deep commitment to uh, for him it was realization wanting people to be realized but deep commitment to my process yes yes such a selfless way i would say like there's just such a selflessness to that yeah and on that i'm curious about um yeah you, your journey with this um and and where you find yourself now after having traversed this path both the meditation way of vipassana and the diamond approach what is your experience of life well the vipassana was a great support for doing inquiry with the diamond approach and not just inquiry but sensing myself and the meditations that we've learned, that I've learned in um, Diamond Approach. So because of Vipassana and the developing a concentration, a capacity to concentrate and to really penetrate my immediate experience. I mean, that's just all been so useful for anything I would have done. And Diamond Heart is the path that I chose. Um, and my experience is, it's like, it's just a natural sensing of myself. It's a natural knowing that what I am, what my experience is, is right here, right now. It's immediate. So while my mind can make up and did used to make up lots of stories, um, not so much anymore. And the stories still will float through, but they're more floating through than getting snagged. I don't get snagged as much as I used to, and I can still get snagged. Mm. So there's a, um, uh, an ease in life, uh, lightness. Um, I don't take the stories. I don't believe the stories so much. I don't take that so seriously anymore. They don't disturb like they used to. And once in a while I can get disturbed by something, but when I do, it's such a surprise because of the smoother sense of myself that the the snags show up like bright lights. I have an interesting follow-up on that. That process, that journey you've gone through, in what way would you say that it's made you a better human being? Or when I use better, I you know, it's that can be misunderstood. Like, uh, in, but at the same time, there is a validity to that question in the sense that, like, how have you become a better human being in, in, in the most, you know, in the right way of understanding what I'm, what I'm asking? Yes. 
Um, well, I would say what it's done is put me, woken up my heart. I'm so much more in touch with, aware of my heart. Um, I'm open, there's more openness, more curiosity about myself, more curiosity about you, about both of you, about the world, about others. Uh, and I feel more attuned, like I'm more sensitive. I can feel the um, my pain, others' pain, others' hurt, others' feeling of rejection, others' kindness, others' openness, the, the dialectic of me and the world. It feels like there's just a dialectic. I'm giving and I'm feeling. And I feel like that happens individually. It happens on a, a larger scale of the, in the world, in my neighborhood, in life. What is happening now as you're talking about this? I actually feel that. I feel the, with both of you here, I feel um, a softness, an openness. And I feel myself very curious about both of you. I'm curious how you came to do this. I'm curious about each of your paths, what got you here, what you've learned, what you see. So I notice that there's, it's like that, you know, I feel it. And then I, I feel love for both of you, appreciation for what you're doing, who you are, not just what you're doing, but really who you are. And I'm curious about you, Ilian. What are you curious about? The same, what, what, a little bit about your story, how, you know, or what's happening with you in you right now, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so two questions. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But uh, what's happening now is I'm present here with us as well. I'm hearing my partner putting our son to bed in another room. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's happening as well. And then also coming back here as well. So this, um, and that's pretty interesting for me to be present here and then going, okay, that is happening as well. Okay, here. So, so that's a new experience. He usually has gone to bed before I start podcasting. The other question, I answer this in some episodes in different way and feels like there's always a little piece of the story. But I think a massive heartbreak, that was what got me here. I had a massive heartbreak. The man that I loved decided to leave me. And that was very traumatizing for me. And I kind of lost everything that I held dear. And on in that loss, I came to a community um, in Sweden, close to where I live now. And yes, the week after that, there was a diamond approach group um, coming, the Scandinavian group, which is meeting in Malta. And uh, my an old psychoanalysis teacher of me, a teacher therapist, was there and in the group. So that was interesting. 
and another participant of that group started having other practices and teachers of inquiry where I started to heal again and feel again, which was extremely painful. Um, but it also gave me extreme hope and hope that I could live my life without having to pretend to be small or fit in this box of how um, I was raised to, to believe by some of my relatives that this is how you're a, a good human being, which felt very difficult for me. Mm -hmm. mm. I've always uh, valued honesty in a way, which has made people uncomfortable. Um, still does probably. <laughs> yeah. Do you have the same experience around honesty, Terry? In terms of you know people becoming being uncomfortable when the honest truth is revealed or shared. What's your experience of that? Um. Yeah, I, not all people and some people, it depends on how deeply we go with, you know, some people can handle a bit of honesty and so well, people get uncomfortable. I find they're uncomfortable with, and I, you know, I'm talking about people who haven't really uh, engaged in um, inner work, uncomfortable with their feelings. You know, if they start to express feelings that couldn't be expressed when they were younger, expressing them when they're older feels scary, feels challenging. So, you know, there, we, we have certain feelings. We're each trained to be a certain way. There's an environment that each of us grew up in and certain things were okay and safe and others were not. And we learn very quickly. As little children, we're little sponges and we have to learn what does it take to get along in here? What does it take to survive in this environment? So as long as people stay, for the most part, they stay within the feelings that were safe to express, feelings that they won't be um, criticized for, made fun of, told it's not okay, you know, the little ones that are told don't cry or be nice or don't be mad or don't be angry or share your toys, all the things that kids sometimes don't want to do or they do want to be angry or they are angry. So I find that people find it difficult to express those feelings that weren't safe to express when they were little, that where they were at risk of being hurt, being made fun of, being told that that's bad or wrong. We unconsciously grow up believing that's true, staying away from what we got made fun of for when we were little, what hurt when we were little, what scared us when we were little. So I find that pretty much everybody without doing work has feelings they don't go near, thoughts they don't let themselves think. You know, we, they, we have a boundary 
around what's safe. And without exploring those boundaries, without being curious about, huh, how come I think it's bad to be angry? How come I can't let myself feel that I really do feel rejected or hatred or sad or scared? We stay where it's safe. So yeah, I, I see that in my own family with my siblings who haven't really done any work. My oldest sister will sometimes say to me, why do you talk to us and make us cry? Certainly isn't my intention, but they get touched sometimes when we start talking more deeply. So how, how do you navigate that field? I mean, I can imagine many people listening are in a similar situation. How have you, what have you learned from being in a family where they're not, interested in spiritual work as such or, or that that dimension of work and do you have any wisdom to share on that well it's gone through many phases over many many years of doing the work and having deeper understanding myself in the beginning i just uh, avoided certain conversations with my family because i they didn't go anywhere but and and found that I judged them a little bit too. Well, those poor folks, those, you know, they just can't. That's shifted a lot in me. Uh, I was actually just with my sisters. We get together. We were up until the pandemic trying to get together every year. And then that stopped during the pandemic. Now we're back getting together. But um Today, you know, I was just with them a few weeks ago and to see them all, they, I have three sisters and they behave the way they behave and they're doing, each one does the things that they do. And I feel so much love for them. I'm not looking to change them. And I also don't feel like I need to change myself. I can speak about what, how I feel, what's true open my heart, I tell them things, hug them, kiss them, where some of them are like, and some are so happy to be hugged. So, <laughs> but I can be myself with them and, um, and know that, you know, I can feel their, their fear, their pain, their discomfort. So I also don't try to push what's, push anything on them. And I still, can express myself. So I feel much, I feel more natural, much more at ease. I'm not trying to get them to do something or not do something. I'm not having to be careful about what I say or don't say. There's much more flexibility, flow, care for them. I love them. And I think ultimately they feel that. They know that. Another aspect that I hear you communicating here is a sense of internal security. It feels like you're secure in yourself, and that also translates into you being more free in your expression and in being who you are. And I feel that is a very interesting 
development and a part of us, our human potential to feel internally secure in ourselves somehow. Can you relate to that, what I'm saying there? Yeah, what I relate to and what you're saying is there's a, a solidity. There's also a lot of stillness. There's um, there, stillness in my body, stillness of my mind. There's, um, yeah. And so with the stillness, I, I just am here, feel myself here. And what I'm curious about is what is my experience? What's with, without asking it in quite in, you know, those words, but it really is what's happening, trusting what's over here, knowing a, a depth, knowing um, a stillness, a peace. This, this peace that is me, that the stillness that is, it's just like a rippling of calm. The body is quiet, the mind still. So there's not, there's a lot less agitation, much more settled here in this place. So then there's not a place I have to get to. There's not something that must happen or shouldn't happen. I, I, there's a much greater capacity to just allow everything that is happening. I can allow for someone to be upset, allow for someone to be um, behaving in ways I might not behave, but that's okay, that's not me. Allow for someone's anger, allow for someone's disappointment. Have my heart open when I can feel they feel rejected or not seen. That, that makes sense to me. <laughs> I mean, we really want to be known. We, we, want, we want to be seen and known for who we are. It's nice to be known for the things that you do. And that's great. I did this. I did that. But who am I? Who are you? And to be able to relate to each other in that way, to see each other. And I also hear that, yeah, like you picked up on before that you really see yourself and that you know yourself or and your experience. That, that's, that's sort of what I'm hearing from it. And I personally struggle a lot when like a person is directing their anger at me. I can very also because I have a small kid and so if he's there as well then it becomes really like hey like I want to protect this like this is not appropriate but uh, the things you're mentioning if I find them so inspiring it's like uh, superhuman powers <laughs> of uh, dedication realization inner work presence it's it's so inspiring for me to, to hear
and it gives me hope. And one thing that you said that I don't want to step over, which is mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with saying that behavior is not appropriate to someone. That's mm -hmm. not okay. I don't want to... I don't want to give the impression that that it's that there's anything wrong with that. Especially, you have a child. There are things you want, ways you want that child to be interacted with. Nothing wrong with saying that doesn't work. No, like to really to have your own boundaries, to have you know, for you to know your own truth, and to mm. be able to express that. Mm. Now, if something gets really disturbed in you and, you know, causes a lot of ang anxiety, we get curious about that. Don't try to push that away either. You just get curious. Wow. How come when they did that, what happened over here? You just mm. want to find out about it. Huh? God, I got so mad. Wanted to kill them. Well, what's that about? There's nothing wrong. We just find out. You just we just get curious. Whatever. See, that's the beauty of this work. Whatever's happening in your experience, explore it. Inquire. Huh. Jeez, I get so mad. Whenever I hear that, I want to kill him. Whoa. <laughs> tell me about that. You go, girl. Feel that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That now, that's got a lot of energy we want we can use that energy yeah certainly that is beautiful and interesting and funny and yeah and yeah and that happened to me in a small group uh, once that I was like I feel this hate towards my partner and I and then and my teacher was like yeah really I was like really inviting it and I was like okay okay like it's a safe space we can explore it I was like Okay, okay, we do it. <laughs> Instead of um, shame and bad and oh no, what? You want to kill him? That's like, you know, which, yeah. uh, but but in that moment, yes, allow that. Like, I think she asked me, like, what would you do to him if you could? And I was like, what? Like, I'm allowed? I'm allowed to explore that in this moment? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like what you're saying, Ilian, about the safe space, because that's mm. what we're practicing, letting our bodies be a safe space, letting over here be a safe space. You can be here furious. You don't have to tell anybody. Over here, hating them. You don't have to act it out, but you can explore it. This becomes your safe space. Like everything, mm. nothing gets denied in here. Everything's allowed. We get open to it. We get curious about it. We bring a friendly, curious interest to our experience. Welcome it. You know, for our whole lives, we're told, do that, don't do that. Oh, don't be mean. Oh, did it. Nonsense. Feel it. Be with it. Like your teacher said, yeah, what do you want to do to him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really needed and, I mean, a true support for, like, humanity to go forward. But I also understand that it's scary. Like, I had a, a former roommate a couple of years ago, um, and 
and I was have already started my inner work. So I was saying we had there was a conflict, and and I shared like I'm so angry right now that I'm shaking. Like, and I shared it in a voice memo, and the reaction from her side and her family side was that they 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 felt uncomfortable continuing living with me because I said that I'm so angry that I'm shaking. So then that became a threat. Like, what are you gonna do? And that was hurtful and we ended up splitting our families anyway but that was um yeah and that's that's uh there's such a fear of even expressing anger um yeah feel a bit heavy sharing about it but it felt important somehow like it's not a dance on roses <laughs> yeah like what was that last thing you said roses it's not the dance on roses oh it's not the <laughs> <laughs> or maybe this with thorns but yeah <laughs> well I, I think you learn who you can express what you can express who you can express with and most important to be able to allow it in yourself most important to explore it be able to explore what is this anger what's happening whatever it is that's happening and we'll come up with situations like you say we're with someone who can't hear that. They actually do feel threatened because it's your anger. They feel threatened. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't understand that person that didn't understand quite what you were saying. No, no. Yeah. And that's that's okay for me also. Like I wanna add, I understand from where they're coming from and why that was threatening for them. So mm -hmm. um but yeah. Mm. I see what's what's happening in you now. Emerge you more in the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just leaning back, witnessing. To be fair, and 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 just hanging out and and allowing. But, and I really appreciate the wisdom coming through, and also the honesty, the raw, the raw truth of of your personal experience. And also the responsiveness of Terry. So I'm, I'm just enjoying the dialectic and what's coming out of that. And and I feel I just want to emphasize that nugget of wisdom in terms of within your own safe space of yourself, allow everything, allow everything to come up, allow everything to emerge, including dark, shady thoughts, including, because that is stored in the unconscious anyway. I mean, that is stored in, in either in your psyche or the collective psyche. So if one creates boundaries about, no, 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 I can't think that, then that will be kept within the unconscious and, and coming through in other ways. So what I hear coming through Terry is uh, encouraging our, you know, us as souls to, to really explore the totality of our consciousness, including those dark thoughts and that which is murky and that which is, um, that which is murky and uh, difficult and, and maybe from a, a social point of view uh, wrong but also be mindful that it does not need to be expressed or enacted 
that it can be explored without being enacted. So I feel there is a, a deep nugget of wisdom there that humanity at large need to hear and also develop the capacity, like the, how inquiry and practice over time develops our capacity to be with more of ourselves. And, and uh, so that's both in terms of this practice being strengthened, but also our soul becoming more capable to handle those dark, that dark, dark matter. Um, so, so I feel that is a very deep nugget of wisdom right there. Yeah, I think what you're saying was the, is really important, that it is a practice and it takes time and yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a practice over time that we um, that we do is and develop develop ourselves develop our heart develop our tolerance for the feelings yeah and then as we inquire into it we begin to understand more and more it's the understanding that allows the difficulty to begin to relax then that allows our essential nature. Until we understand it, it becomes an obstacle to our essential nature being able to continue to unfold in us. As we understand it, the obstacle, it relaxes, it can dissolve, and then that allows aspects of our more fundamental nature, our essential nature, to arise in us true peace, joy, compassion, love, kindness, strength, all the qualities that are in us and obstructed, obscured. And, and with that, another key word, um, understanding and how inquiry, open-ended inquiry, which is the primary practice of the down approach, how that facilitates for understanding in a, in a way that is both effective and, like you said, full of discovery, full of like an adventure, uh, adventure of life. And it brings me on to another question that I want to ask you is why I'm curious about this because I imagine that it's developed in stages. Why you started out doing inner work and why, why are you still doing it? Why are you practicing? Why have you kept on practicing? And why did you ever begin practicing? Yeah. Well, I actually began practicing inner work um, 45 years ago. I've practiced a couple of different modalities, but I really went to my first um, program, first course, uh, 45 years ago. And I went because of difficulties from my childhood. I was raised by a mother and an alcoholic father. And my alcoholic father, um, was not kind when he was would drink. He uh, he had like two personalities. He could be loving and fun, and all the kids in the neighborhood just 
wanted to be around him. And then he'd drink and he would be mean and unrecognizable to me and scary. He passed away when I was still young. I was nine years old, maybe 10 when he died. And, uh, but I was left with a lot of pain, scars, hurt from emotional. He didn't hit me, but he certainly threatened an awful lot. So I wanted to know about this. I, I could feel the things that I would become afraid of, feel the um, distrust, feel my tendency to back away, to not want to engage, to not trust the environment, think I had to do it all myself, think I couldn't really rely on anyone. And I, I knew that this was a problem. This was not a problem. It was, it was difficulty. It was painful. And I wanted to understand. So that's really what drew me. And I stayed with that group that I joined um, or became a part of uh, for about 10 years and did work on all kinds of things. And then there was this point at which it wasn't, it wasn't actually spiritual work, but it was a lot of psychological work and it really did help me understand. And then I realized I wanted to, there was something still missing. I wanted something a little deeper. I wanted to understand parts of me that it didn't, I didn't feel like that was addressing. So really I started on a search and I just moved to deeper and deeper. And then I went to something else that got me more in touch with my heart, opened up my heart, exposed other things to me, other parts of myself, and then eventually made my way to Vipassana and then Diamond Approach. So what kept me going was as I moved through my life, I had more understanding. I saw more. I relaxed more. I understood more. And I could see where there were still places that weren't completely free. I could still. So the, it was almost, it's almost like the more you open, the more sensitive you become. And then you can see even Oh, something I didn't even recognize as a problem, something I hadn't even seen as an issue. Suddenly, oh, that, wow, I now see behaviors that I didn't question, that once something gets worked out, then it allows you to see the next behavior as, now that's kind of interesting. I wonder why I'm doing that. Huh, why do I react every time that happens? What about that makes me mad? Why do I feel sad? Why do I feel rejected? Why do I need for them to see me in this way? Why do I need to be seen as competent, as good? As, you know? So the questions just kept coming. And now that in the diamond approach, I, I feel like it really, I can answer all the questions that have not yet been answered. And I, and I still ask questions. I still see 
still see places. I'm guessing I always will find places that huh, I recognize as little feelings of rejection, disappointment, hurts. And I just explore them. I would like to invite her around, just checking what is alive in us, what's alive in the field. And do you want to start, Tammy? I invite you. Sure. I was hoping you would start. <laughs> I was curious about you, but I can start. Um... I feel a melting, like I feel a melting of my, any um, defenses, any uh, ideas, I just feel this softening, melting, appreciation for this time, heart. Feel love, a lot of love. Love for both of you, love for this work. Thank you. I will see where you now. I'd like to hear from you first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. But it's your turn, so. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying you have to? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you don't have to. It's an invitation. So. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to share now. No. Okay. I can share. Mm. Yeah, now this this little interaction, I can feel this uh, joy and, and giggling in me, like a bit of humor, a bit of <sighs> safety. I think I feel very safe. I can sense safety, um, listening, sharing, open up, exploring. It's like a a groundedness, a openness. Um, safety again and uh, I have I have a, a curious curiosity I have a question I want to ask afterwards but if you wanna I would I would love to hear from you you want the question okay then we feel into that yeah this is a bit of a change of direction um, but I, I read on your your profile, Terry, um, that you're also a teacher for the Enneagram. Is it called that? Enneagram, yeah. And I, I'm as a student in the Diamond Approach or like a person in the world, I, I know close to zero about the Enneagram. But you will see, I know you know a bit more and then you're a teacher. And it's mentioned in your profile, so I think it would be beautiful to invite it and see if we could shed some light in that, and also like how that is, uh, why it's important. And 
how do you do it? And uh, yeah, how about that? What's in, what's the question? What's important about the Enneagram? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like for someone who doesn't know, like I, I know I know that it exists, and I know people are categorized into numbers, and it says something about your personality, and it goes very much hand in hand with uh, the diamond approach somehow. So I'm really curious to understand more about it. Yeah. Um, the Enneagram is a, um, it's a system of, of uh, personality telling us it, it explores different personality types, uh, gives us nine basic types, but then there are other ways of seeing it where each type it has a particular, um, I don't know if I need to get into all of that. It's, you can almost, there's nine types, but then you can say each type has three different possibilities for being a certain way, whether they have, we have instincts. So if you include the instincts of life, and by instincts, I mean, each person we have, each person has the instinct of being a self-preservation type, someone who's more interested in their um more focused not interested in it's the instinct so we we are it comes with us it's what we automatically think about so our self-preservation is more about uh, if you're a self-preservation type you're thinking about your home your money your health your um like everything that that is for your your body working out your, what's for your your pre, the preservation of your body your this being a social type is more interested more focused on I have to stop saying interested in but focused on but it is where their interests go they're more focused on community on belonging being a part of what is good for the whole what's good for the group and a one-on-one -on -one type, is more focused on a one-on-one -on -one relationship, focused on the other, having a union with other. So if you, each type, so if you, you have nine types, one through nine, so there could be a one who could have the, the their instinct could be self-preservation, or it could be social, or it could be one-on-one, -on -one, also called sexual. So that makes them, so where their attention goes for even though there are one on the Enneagram, there's three different ways. So then we say there's more like 27 different types, really, because the instincts, our instincts play such an important role in where we put our attention, what our attention is on. So what the Enneagram is, is it shows us it's such an accurate map of personality types of what we uh, focus on, where we get caught, where we get stuck, what, um, where we have difficulties. Um, so I, no need to go into each of the types. That's another whole long piece of work itself, but it's very useful. What makes it useful is it can point you in a direction to see 
because we're patterned in particular ways. And the Enneagram is so accurate in, in describing how we are patterned, how we're conditioned. See, we're conditioned from two places. At birth, we're conditioned, we come in and there's nurture and nature, which you've probably heard, right? So nurture is the environment we grew up in and nature is the personality we come in with. And what they say is the Enneagram type isn't decided. Like our um, nurture, it happens as we're in that environment. And the way that we, the environment we grew up grow up in has a, has a lot to do with how we get conditioned and patterned. Well, we come in with our, a particular type. So like if you have siblings, you're all born to the same environment, but you can see that each one of you is very different. I had five siblings and we're all very different, even though we had the same mother and father. Looks like we had the same mother and father. I mean, the same people, but they interacted with us differently because we were a different personality. One person is, one baby comes in and they're quiet. And they don't say much. Another baby comes in. Another baby comes in busy, busy, busy. So you see, if you have siblings, you can see very easily how each one is so different. Well, it's useful to begin to be able to map that when you know your type, then you can, it, it, you, we know about our environment and we begin to, when we explore, when we inquire, we can explore knowing what our environment is. Well, it's also useful to know the patterning of our type. And it's the Enneagram is just one of the most accurate um, tools, accurate, uh, yeah, tools for understanding, helping us understand more. So we see the environment we grew up in, but we also see the personality we have. Like one type might be, they're, they want to improve. They want to get it right. They want so you start to see how much you as that type wants to improve and correct and can't get it wrong. And so finds yourself finds themselves always improving someone, correcting, correcting themselves, correcting others, trying to do the right thing. Someone else just wants love, wants connection. So they find themselves just trying so hard to connect and not push anyone away. And oh, well, that upset them. Oh, I need to see me. Do you love me? Do you love me enough? Another one might be very competent. They know how to do things. And I can do this. And they want to be seen. They need that approval, be seen for just how competent they are, how well they do things. Yes. So it's like that. So to be able to see you know, your, um, it helps in your inquiry. What we're doing is we're just exploring. We're wanting to know ourselves. We're wanting to know the whole package, all of what is here. Who am I? What am I? How am I? And it's just another very useful tool to know that, to understand that. 
my sense of the Enneagram map is that is as well that it's very accurate. And for those of you who are curious to know more detailed information about the types, I know that there is a course being launched on the Diamond Approach online portal that's being taught by Russ Hudson and Sandra Maitri, who are one of the one of the leading teachers of the Enneagram. So you can explore there. One thing that I'm curious about within this context is potentially you, Terry, sharing a little about a little bit of your journey of of learning your type and how you work with that, how that has served you in a personal way. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, when I first learned my type, um, there were things that I found out about my type that I didn't like. It's, so if, if you don't like the type that, you discover that you are, it's likely that you are that type. If you like it, if you're really proud of that type and think that's a great type to be, I'd say keep looking. It's <laughs> 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 not very common that someone says, oh yeah, I am that type and that can happen. <laughs> so when I first, I first discovered the type that I was, and, um, you know, it's so radically accurate that um, I felt embarrassed about some things. I, it was like so exposing. So first to get through the exposure, um, it's like <laughs> my son, I'll give you a little, <laughs> my son, who at the time was 16 when I first started studying the Enneagram. And I knew he, I thought that he might be this type. I actually didn't know for sure. So I was going back and forth reading him between these two types. And I read a little bit about one and he said, oh, that sounds like me. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then I read the other type. He said, you know what? Go back to that other one. So I went back to the other one and then I just started reading and he pulled the book out of my hands and he started beating the book on the table. He said, burn that devil book. <laughs> Mom, how can a book know so much about me? That's embarrassing. So it's kind of like that, you know, it's like, it just exposes. So for me, um, yeah, it, it came in stages, you know, so I started to understand, again, it's not unlike inner work, you know, like the diamond approach, like inquiry. I understood some things and then I would read and, and go on with my life and then I get curious. Something would happen that I, in my life, in my experience that I didn't quite understand. And because I had read Sandra Maitri's book several times, uh, the one that I'd read at the time was the um, spiritual dimension of the Enneagram, which I strongly recommend for people who are interested in knowing about their type or about the Enneagram. Um, and I would pull out the book and go to my type and read different passages that each time would just go so much deeper. And I can remember at one time just feeling like an empty shell and just, oh, and reading and 
reading what Sandra said about that, it was just so accurate. Her description of what I was experiencing was just right on. And then it would help me understand what was happening in me. So it just gives us another dimension, another capacity to use to know ourselves, to understand ourselves. Really, it's a beautiful um, process and amazingly accurate. And it's all, it all helps us in understanding. That's really what we're doing. So we just want to know ourselves. Yeah. With the reminder that the spiritual dimension of the Enneagram by Sandra, now that can be brutal to the ego. <laughs> that is like brutal, like massacre. <laughs> I remember reading that and... Uh, yeah, that was extremely intense in terms of how it mirrored me and my ego structure. So I can, I can, I can, yeah, yeah, yeah say that as well. This is so interesting. So for someone who is like new to it, like how, how do you discover your type? Do you answer lots of questions? Do you put in your horoscope? Do you read a book? What? Well, what I really would recommend is to find someone who is uh, some, a teacher who can type you. I've heard of a lot of people answering questions, and sometimes that can work. The uh, caution I would give you is that what's answering those questions oftentimes is the superego. So it asks you, you know, uh, how you feel about something or how you are in some way. And it, you might have a first answer, but then the superego says, well, that's not the right way to be. Oh, that, no, you shouldn't do that. And, I, and you find yourself without even knowing it. What's answering those is the inner critic, the judge that's saying, well, no, don't, you don't do that. That's not good. So you have to be careful. So, and sometimes we don't really know ourselves. So it's useful to have someone that can ask you questions, you know, and um, without judgment, curiosity. Like, how do you, how, do, do you doubt? Do you correct? Do you, you know, how do you handle this? And you can look with um, kindness, openness, and see what's true. Oh, you find some patterns that you didn't even know were there. Thank you. I feel this is a good time to listen to a song. I was thinking that as well. Yeah. Me too. Ready to the party. Y'all. <laughs> We're in sync now.
Questo giorno è una pazzia, alla luna è amica mia, se ti resta un sogno da votare via. Sono in mezzo a una città, solo amici e poi chissà, poi non basta mai, tante cose da dirsi, baciarsi e capirsi e Tardi, ma dai, dove corri a questo? I'm curious what happens in you when you listen to that type of music, Terry. What happens is it's different every time I listen to it. And it, it brings out the fullness of whatever is there, whatever's here in the moment. So whether it's in this particular case, it was... Um, just perfect to what we were talking about. Just love, just tell me how to love you. Show me how to love you. Love beings, love our essential nature, love what's real. So I, it was just, it was perfect. Other times it brings out something else.
and it's and it's like all perfect it's all welcome but right now it just show me how to love you talking to love itself show me yourself Would you also say that that category of music has a particular impact that is consistent uh, throughout? Because there are so many genres, and this is a particular type of genre. So I'm wondering what the relationship you have with that particular genre. You have to ask me a different way. I'm not sure what you <laughs> Okay. I'm just asking because I, I I love that type of music myself. Oh, okay. So then tell me what you're doing. Yeah, okay. No, so <laughs> consistently when, when, when I hear tenor, like tenor singing or that type of music, I notice how it actualizes a specific part of my being that usually comes with an expansion. It's a kind of an expansion where I, where I get angel wings and my wings starts to just stretch out. And I just open up and just allow myself to just expand with those beautiful, magical sounds where they go up, 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 up infinitely. And it's as if I just want to expand with it endlessly. Like, but <laughs> and that's so consistent. Uh, so I just love that genre. Andrea Bocelli, he's another tenor that that I appreciate a lot and I listen to um, often, uh, or I used to do. I haven't been listening as much lately, but I love that type of music, and it's a particular experience I, I almost get every time. Yes. All right. Now I understand what you're asking. Yeah. It's like the heart is singing. The, yeah. the body is singing. Yeah. The singing is just opening up. Yes. Uh, and, but it's whatever is there opens. Whatever is there expands, magnifies. Yeah. I, I would also say that in my case, I notice also how it impacts me, like how it facilitates sometimes for a metamorphosis. So sometimes I may be contracted and then it comes on and then it leads to a transformation. So I notice how it transforms my consciousness and usually it leads to that type of expansion. And I, and I also feel that when I put on the song, those type of songs, there is also an intelligence to that. So at times where I'm, I'm in, in the rut of my own personality structure, I might not put that on because it's not appropriate. But other times where I'm in the transition or I'm just feeling good, then it comes on naturally and then off we fly, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it looks like you like to fly. <laughs> I love to fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I can see. <laughs> yeah, I, I love to fly. Yeah. Yes, Ellen, you're just kicking back in the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just becomes very clear to me the connection with um, spirituality and art. Like uh, when when I listen to the two of you, your conversation about the song, and uh, 
an expansion and uh, I don't listen to this type of music that often um but I could feel it like flushing in my cheeks it's like energy I'm like oh and it was I mean it was very powerful and now listening to your conversation here afterwards I'm like okay I want to listen to more I want to experience more and um imagining myself uh, in times of need listening to it and then like screaming in catharsis with the music or something like oh yeah <laughs> yeah I'm looking forward to this it's gonna be a, a great life <laughs> Yes. yes i join sarah brightman sometimes <laughs> and sing right with her <laughs> wow beautiful round of our dialogue huh man so beautiful so i mean good to be with you as always alien i really appreciate your presence your honesty your directness your vulnerability or humanness. I mean, that's really like, there's just such a truth to that human, humanness that comes through you. And uh, Perry, I bow deeply to your being and your soul. And again, I, I feel this transmission that you give, gave initially of that grace, that was so clear to me. It was like a scintillating grace that came through that had this golden emanation of the divine. I mean, it was just pure divinity coming through when you shared your story. And I feel so touched to be <clears throat> in witness and in presence of such a, a uh, like to, to be, in, to feel the transmission of such a direct light um, that I just felt come through there. It's just the, of divinity, essentially. That was, that was just clear to me. Um, and yeah, just loving your expression. I, I think it's so, I mean, when we have these conversations, I'm reminded of the value I feel just coming through this field and these conversations and, and the potency of sharing that and sharing the treasure of the school, of all the teachers and also the interactions between teachers and students and teachers and teachers. So I see a great scope for how this can evolve and expand even further and I believe that this can genuinely contribute something significant to humanity to our collective as well as it is spread directly through our listeners and indirectly through the, the people listening to this being inspired from these conversations for me that is also very clear when we're having these dialogues so I just want to bow to that and, and say thank you Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I also wanna like share some appreciation both both Terry for you coming and and joining us. It's a, such a wonderful to have you here and to to flow and dialogue and explore in the open. And I, I really hope I get to meet you sometime in the future somewhere. That would be wonderful. And, and for you, Lucia, oh, you know, I want to point out that you are the, the creator of this, uh, this podcast. You know, I'm your co-creator, but you're the space holder. You're the one who manifested it and put it in. You're the one who made a shout out that I listened to and responded and say, hey, I'm joining. You know, thank you for your, like in speaking of um, like masculine space holding and 
direction of um, you know of your soul and I, I love to be a part of it and I love to be invited uh, to do it with you and uh, yeah and I love that we get to invite teachers to us as well I mean it's, it's just wonderful so thank you so much for and for the editing you know you know guys I never need to edit let's see always edits <laughs> it's wonderful it's beautiful thank you thank you so much mm. Yeah, and I want to thank both of you, really, for the, uh, for your warmth, your openness, honesty, vulnerability, and the, um, what it takes to do this, the creativity, the offering that this is for people, new students, old students. It's like you said, teachers and students get to know each other. People get to know each other. It's really heartfelt, sincere appreciation for what you're doing, what you're bringing. Yeah. Who you are. Shines through the screen. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, so any last words that you want to share, Terry, about what you offer? Um, you, do you accept new students? Yeah, I'm accepting new students. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. right. I think you're, my sense is you're a great teacher. <laughs> yeah, me too. Are you, are you teaching in any groups? I'm not. I'm going to start a book group in September, but I'm not teaching any big groups. No. I'll have a group online uh, book group. Okay. Good. 